Hello and welcome to another edition of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is your host, John Jantz, and my guest today is Alexandra Levitt. She is a former nationally syndicated columnist for the Wall Street Journal and an author of a number of books, but uh, one we're going to talk about today, fresh on sale, called Blind Spots, the 10 business myths that you can't afford to believe on your new path to success. So, Alexandra, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, John. It's great to be here. So anytime you use words like new path to success, um, and and I know that in one description I read about the book, uh, you talk about how the world is different in a, in a post-recession. Are we post-recession yet? Um. Well, I don't think we actually are. But <laughs> so, so, so what is different about let's just, let's uh, just pretend we are. What is different about the post-recession world when it comes to your career and and path to success? Well, I think the main thing that's different is that people are still reeling from all of the layoffs and the the horrible times that followed when the recession start in 2008 and the companies going down that we all thought we respected and that we thought would be around forever. And I think right now we see a climate where there's much more ethical scrutiny, there's much more intense competition, and employers really want to hire people that have this Puritan-like work ethic, people who want to do their jobs well without rocking the boat too much, and people who are strong representatives of the organization's culture rather than than being sort of these pioneers that are are going to cause trouble. I, I think that that's something that's a little bit different. From, uh, from previous times, and I think that's something that is a little bit tough for people to accept, that really in this climate where there's so much competition, you've got to have the ability to assimilate well into an organization rather than coming in and trying to make ways or being a change agent overnight. Yeah, I think that's interesting. I know that um, you know it used to be you got the degree from the reputable school, and that meant to an employer that you had been trained in a certain way to have certain skills, and, and that's what they needed. And, and I think... One of the things that you're suggesting is that this idea, you know, we talk about it a lot. Companies are now trying to hire for fit, and you know, we can debate what that really means. But, but I yeah. think that I think that this idea of fitting into a culture, and that can be, you know, that can be an unhealthy culture too, right? Where where you want to come in and and you know, you work for an organization that believes you should work 16 hours a day. Um, either way, it's it's that fit I think they're after, isn't it? Yeah, no, I think that your this idea of cultural fit is something that has become almost a buzzword in the last couple of years. It's <laughs> really something that it's it's hot in the HR circles. And I think that it's important because what would happen in previous years is it wouldn't be a good cultural fit and you would go into an organization and it would be like a square peg in a round hole and you would have a, a whole bunch of problems that we actually talk about in blind spots as a result of having that situation. Whereas now you've got organizations really going out of their way to test people up front to say, okay, well, we have, you know, X culture, Y culture, Z culture. Is this going to be something that you're going to fit into? And it really saves everybody a lot of time and money if you think about it. Well, and I think that that long-term, you know, happiness, I suppose, too. I have, you know, kids that are in the age that are getting out of college and looking at companies. and, And I find that I know when I was in that time frame in life, I was kind of, hey, I'm looking for a job that'll pay me a bunch of money. And I think that it seems to me at least like they are way more into, I'm not a good fit there. And I, I don't know if that's yeah. a generational change. Um, You know, I don't necessarily think it is a generational change, or if it is, 
it's being driven initially by this millennial generation, so people born after 1980, but it has trickled down to everybody else. I think this is something that the baby boomers didn't even, as you were saying, they didn't even think about when they first came into the workforce. It really wasn't an issue. If you were a you weren't a fit, you just had to kind of toe the line anyway. And now it's something that's being considered up front, and I think the millennials are demanding that because they're saying, if I am going to go into a traditional work environment, which most of them sort of shun anyway. They mm-hmm. want at least to be one where they agree with the social responsibility policies, they agree with the company's mission, um, vision, and values, and they feel like they can make a difference on an ongoing basis, and fit is really, really important to that. So let's get into some of the myths. Um, and well, well, let me, this, this probably will set up a lot of the myths. <laughs> How has the Internet changed, uh, really, this whole idea of some of the myths and, and some of the ways that, that people a- approach their new path to success? Well, John, I actually think the Internet has been great because the Internet is a reality check for many people. They will go online and hear the real stories behind people's success stories. I mean, your, your blog is a great example. You're always featuring people who have become successful entrepreneurs and who have done marketing really, really well, and you always tell the real story behind those people's journeys. And I think that now that people can hear the real stories told the way that they are, there's not so many urban legends going around about so-and-so who struck a million-dollar venture capital deal in the first five minutes of marketing his business. So you don't hear as many as gossipy stories, or if you do, you are able to go on Google and get the true story. And I also think the Internet has been great for encouraging people to go out and make their own destiny. I think this is, as we talk about in blind spots, this is a good thing and a bad thing. In one sense, people can go in, they can start their own blogs, they can get really active in social media, they can find their voice, and they can really increase their visibility in in a positive way by demonstrating their personal brand and demonstrating what they really have to offer. On on the negative side, we have a chapter in Blind Spots about um, being controversial. And I think Twitter in particular has gotten a lot of people into trouble because they are out there spouting opinions that aren't necessarily backed by fact, and they they say things before really thinking them through, and I think people go out of their way to try and get a lot of attention on these social media sites, and and sometimes that can actually have a negative impact. Yeah, I I think we've, you know, there's been plenty of of examples of that, but I I would flip to the positive side. I, I think there are certainly some great examples of people that have made a not not necessarily a career, but but have almost positioned themselves at, way beyond what their resume ever could, um, in in a way that actually allows them to jump into positions maybe that, uh, particularly as social media was first sort of a, just just dawning, I think on a lot of companies. I think there are a lot of folks that that jumped into some social media jobs in, uh, just by demonstrating uh, sort of a being able to handle the the tools. Oh, absolutely. I, I 100% agree with that. And in particularly, the social, me- social media consulting job mm-hmm. has been one that has been a boom for many people. And the amount of people that are doing it that have actually been successful is astounding to me. Because when you think about just the pretty sad statistics that you know 85% of new businesses fail or something like that, I, I think that the social media success rate, if you're a consultant in that area, is actually a lot higher. Because people have been able to demonstrate a pattern of results before, as you said, before they even jump into the job. So I totally agree with you that that the Internet has presented a way for many people to show this pattern of results and show that they have had proven success. And so companies are are much more willing to take a risk on that sort of person, even if they don't have, quote-unquote, traditional business experience. Uh, One of my favorite uh, pieces of advice from Tom Peters is um, in in managing, he 
uh, sort of famously said, hire freaks. Um, uh-huh. I don't know if you remember that. And, and part of the, the thinking behind that was that, you know, if you just hire a whole bunch of people that look and act like everybody at your company, you're, you're going to be missing sort of the well-rounded um, approach and the, and maybe people looking at things differently. And uh, one of the myths that you talk about is that, that you know, that employers want that, and I think you're saying that, that that that's not necessarily true. That they really what they really want is people that'll toe the line. Yeah, you know this is this is one of those unfortunate things that I think the majority of companies they would like to to say that they hire people for their individuality, and I think that people that employers do appreciate someone's unique mix of expertise, knowledge, and skills. But that is different than having someone who's just going to run contrary to everything the organization stands for. And there was a story in, in Blind Spots about this guy who was in the technology field, and he went into his very conservative technology company down south and said, oh, but Google does it this way, but Microsoft does it that way. And they got so annoyed with him. They're like, if you love Google and Microsoft so much, why don't you go work there? Mm-hmm. And they did not appreciate being told, well, if the Google culture does this, and then Microsoft mm-hmm. dress like that. I mean, they really wanted this guy to be able to fit in to where he was being hired. And I think that, that it is a myth to say that, that you can go in and be a freak. I think you can be individualistic and, and try to add value in your own unique way, but recognizing that, again, you don't want to be that square peg in a round hole. That's just going to make life difficult for everybody. So can't say I totally agree with Tom on this, but I normally do agree with everything he says, but <laughs> this one, uh, <laughs> I'm, a little bit, I'm a little bit disagreeable on this one. Well, actually, to tell you the truth, he was actually telling employers uh, to to uh, to hire freaks, so I guess he's coming at it. You know whether or not they do. <laughs> so I don't think right. They, they do, I, I think yeah. they probably don't. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, you know, there's always companies that that yeah. will will do things a little bit differently. But I would say, and the advice in blind spots, and this is an important point I want to get across. The advice in blind spots is supposed to pertain to 98% of the people in 98% of all situations. So of course there are going to be exceptions. Yeah. But when it comes to the situation that you're going to be in, the exception is probably not you. Yeah. So I want advice that's going to work for most people. Most of the time. So one of the things that, that probably everybody wants is to make a lot of money, but certainly to make what they think they're worth um, or that, that, you know, what they bring to the table. And I think, of course, in a lot of particularly in corporate structures, you know, your, your job title mandates you get X, and it doesn't really matter if you're good at that or bad at that. Maybe you'll keep your job longer if you're good at it. But um, mm-hmm. how, do, how, do, you know, how do you get more money because you earned it? Well, I think you've got to get more money by being very strategic about how you, first of all, approach the performance review process. You have to understand how it's done in your organization, how merit increases are doled out, and your ability within the structure of your organization to move up. So, for example, if you've got a boss who has been in the position right above you forever, then it's going to be difficult for you to move into that position, and you have to be aware of the ramifications of a situation like that. And you, you coming off of a strong yeah, performance. Yeah, he, he may, he may actually see uh, your desire to move up the ranks as a threat. <laughs> Absolutely, that happens all the time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so these are just the, the cultural cues that you have to be aware of. And then coming off a strong performance review is a really ideal time to suggest that you are already doing the set of responsibilities at the next level. This is very, very important that you've taken a look at the job description at the next level yeah. and be able to concretely show with quantifiable results how you have been on a daily basis contributing at that level. 
And that's the case that you go to with your boss and you say, hey, you know, not only am I doing X, Y, and Z responsibilities at the next level, but I'm also doing the work of two or three people because remember those two people you laid off last year? <laughs> well, you know, I'm one salary and I've, you haven't had to replace them because of me. So you actually show the company how they have saved money and been more productive because you're there and how you've really earned that in advance of having a title. And I think that's going to be your best shot of getting a promotion or a raise. And that said, there are, of course, and we talk about this in blind spots, all sorts of issues that go into compensation from the overall performance of the company to whether or not your your role is considered valuable to the company as a whole, because even if you're doing it well, that doesn't necessarily mean it's generating any kind of <laughs> benefit <laughs> for the organization, um, down to how you're perceived by your individual manager and whether your individual manager is conflict avoidant and doesn't want to give you more money because doesn't want the rest of the department coming and complaining. I mean, there are all of these factors right. yeah. that go into compensation. I think that it's important people realize this because you think I didn't get a raise. It's my, you know, they they don't think that I'm valuable. And many times that has absolutely nothing to do with it. So then I'm guessing what you suggest is that everyone should leave corporate America and start their own job or their own business, <laughs> their own business right? John, yes. that is not what I suggest. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, hey, I hey, I started my own business. You started your own business. I mean, we have done pretty well for ourselves, and, and that is great. There are aspects of having my own business that make me very, very nervous, and I'm not a good fit for. And so what I just want to recommend to people is that they take a very, very hard look at entrepreneurship and their specific business idea and be able to determine pretty definitively if there is a marketplace need for the idea or the product or service be able to prove that, and then also maybe do some, some work in the entrepreneurship space. Maybe you work for another small business owner or you take a volunteer position, something that allows you to determine if this lifestyle is going to be good for you on an ongoing basis. Because just because you're great at something or you can make money doing something doesn't necessarily mean that lifestyle-wise it's going to gel for you. Yeah. And if, for example, I have a really good friend who worked at a PR firm with me several years ago, and she was the one who brought in all the business. She was so good at sales that she was the person on the account team who was responsible for the majority of the company's revenue. And so she rightly said to herself, why am I giving this big of a cut to the company when I'm bringing in all the business? So she went out and started her own firm, but neglected to consider that she got all of her motivation by boss-imposed deadlines. So without somebody looking over her shoulder telling her what she needed to do, she wasn't able to complete the tasks associated with having her own business. So you really have to know yourself very, very well. And so I'm not saying that people shouldn't start their own business. I'm just saying that being an entrepreneur is not for everyone. There are a lot of risks involved, a lot of sacrifices, and again, the, the personality that's required. And so you just have to know yourself and realize this is something that's going to be good for me, and, or this is something that is probably better suited to someone else. Yeah. Um, I find that the greatest skill is you have to be okay with being passable at everything. Uh, <laughs> that, that's a great one, Don. I love that. <laughs> All right. So so uh, let's end up, because we're running out of time, with, with one of you know certainly well-worn favorites, uh, and this would apply to entrepreneurs certainly as well as uh, the the folks on a career path and that's uh, myth number 10 uh, do what you love and the money will follow now how how is that a myth for the the career path person well i think it's a myth because um, the truth is is that loving what you do is often more realistic than doing what you love and doing what you love 
I think there's a lot of pressure in this society to find your passion in the guise of your work and make sure that you do whatever possible to retrofit that passion into a job. And sometimes passions are better left as hobbies. I mean, there are so many examples of this. I mean, I have a good friend who's a photographer, but doesn't really like all of the the, the nuances or <laughs> the minutia of having a photography business. He likes to take pictures, but he doesn't like to manage the accounting, mm-hmm. go out and find clients, deal with the billing. I mean, he he just doesn't want to do that. He just wants to take pictures. And he found when he tried to start a business out of the photography that it killed his love for it. Yeah. He just didn't even want to have anything to do with it. And I think that's the danger. If you found someone something in your life that you love to do, you want to protect that at all costs. And there's nothing to say. This is a giant myth that you have to feel this enormous passion for the work that you do every single day at at your job. It could be very well that you, you know, learn to at least like what you do, not necessarily love, but you do something that gives you the freedom to spend time with the people who are important to you, that gives you financial stability, and gives you the ability to go in and, and make some sort of small difference in an organization. And the ways that you can learn to love what you do are, one, you can go in and try to revisit the initial enthusiasm you had for the job in the first place. There must have been some reason you took this job, so try to get back to the heart of what made you go into that field by taking advantage of opportunities that organizations can offer that individuals cannot, like training, like stretch assignments, (laughs) like mentoring. All of these things are, are very, very useful in a large environment and you can take advantage of. And just try to learn as many transferable skills as possible in in this organization that you're a part of while you're still there because a company a lot of times will pay you to acquire new skills that are going to be very, very useful to you in pursuing your hobby on the side. So I think people put too much pressure on themselves by far to have that there's this just golden passion out there and we have to make it work um, in our professional life. It's, It's not realistic for some people and that's okay. Yeah, and I and I think what people miss quite often too is understanding what they really are passionate about, and then and then not necessarily finding a job that does that, but just finding uh, finding a way to feed that. I I, um, I spoke with a, a business owner recently, and he, he invests in real estate, and he said, you know, quite frankly, I got into that because uh, my real passion is uh, is. It's helping, you know, build our community. Our community, our particular community is really, you know, taking a hit and, and I want to revitalize these buildings in our community and I want to start uh, rec centers and I want to do all of this kind of charitable work. And he said that what I realized is that I had a knack for uh, flipping these buildings and, and buying real estate. He said, I don't really like it. I think it's kind of silly, but I figured out how to make a whole lot of money in it so I can do what I really love. Yeah, well, and that's great. Yeah. Good for him. Yeah, but but I mean, I think that's another way to preach it that I don't think a lot, I think sometimes people miss that they 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 believe, as you said, that the the everyday work has to serve you know their purpose in life, and you know maybe they're just ways to connect what you're doing to to make that happen as opposed to uh, to it, as it being so direct. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. and just it just takes a little, little creativity, and again, it goes back to the point of self awareness. Yeah, like what what is that passion, and how are ways that you can infuse your daily work work life with it? Yeah, I think I think the bottom line of everything that you wrote in this book could probably really be summed up in in that um, you know know yourself is is probably mm-hmm. how you're gonna how you're going to uh, achieve success and also uh, watch out for these blind spots because I think blind spots probably hit you because you don't you aren't really aware of your own uh, issues and desires and wants. 
Yeah, that's right, John. I mean, this book, some people say it's, it's a downer, but what I like to say is I think it's actually giving a positive message, and that's that it's not like there's this hard-to-figure-out formula for how you can be happy. Everybody has these things within them. It's not rocket science. So once you're aware of the situations you might find yourself in and your propensity to react in a certain way, I think that's half the battle. And then you can start doing things differently and, as you said, be aware of being aware of the blind spots. So I think happiness is really well within most people's grasp. It's all about perception and your way of looking at the world. Yeah, I, I will give you a little marketing tip, uh, Alexander, though. Uh, the book yes. would sell a lot better if it was... Uh, 10 ways to only work 10 minutes a day and get everything you want. But just a suggestion. <laughs> I know, but that would be contrary to everything I believe in, John. Well, I agree with you. So it would, be, it would sell more, for sure. Unfortunately, uh, that is the case. But no, I, I think I think you're um, you're right on with this. And it's a message that uh, that people uh, need to hear that, that it's, you know, it's about work and it's about consistency and it's about doing it for a long time. And um, and that's, you know, that's the secret to success. I agree with you. All right, Alexandra Levitt, thanks for joining me. Uh, check out Blind Spots, the 10 business myths you can't afford to believe on your new path to success. And you can find a lot about the book at alexandralevitt.com. In fact, you can find out a lot about Alexandra as well as all the books she's written there. So, Alexandra, thanks for joining me. And we'll thanks. surely run into you out on the road somewhere. Oh, thanks so much, John. I really appreciate it. Take care.